Well, church, I loved that new worship song, and I'm so glad that you're watching this video. Hey, my name is Nick Newman. I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here at Propel. And if this is your first time watching with us, we're excited that you're here. Believe that God has you here for a reason, and we're so excited. Do us a favor, hit the like button, hit the share button, because we believe that this message you're about to hear can really encourage your faith and build up the faith in the lives of other people. I do want to let you know that we have something coming up special next weekend. It's Mother's Day. And we know that Mother's Day looks a little bit different this year, but we want to celebrate with you. So be sure to join me next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 1030 for a special worship experience here at Propel. We're so excited for all that God is going to do. Today, you have an incredible opportunity to hear from one of my favorite communicators on the planet. I might be biased because she happens to be my incredible wife, Tori. And as she delivers God's word today, I believe that the message that she has on cycles can change your life forever for the better. So do me a favor, take great notes, engage in the comment section, be sure to hang out for the after party because it's going to be life-changing. Now grab your Bible, your journal, your cell phone, and let's get ready to hear a message from God's Word. Well, hey, and welcome again to Propel Church. My name is Tori Newman, and I am privileged and honored to be teaching this morning as we close out our series, Life in the Wilderness. Two weeks ago, we talked about rhythms in the wilderness, and the rhythms, the healthy rhythms that we put in place in our lives affect not only us, but the people around us. And last week, we talked about seasons in the wilderness. We talked about the season of dreaming, the season of doubt, the season of development, and the season of destiny. And today, I'm going to talk about cycles in the wilderness. Now, how many of you guys have ever felt like you're just repeating the same thing over and over again? And I'm not just talking about right now where we're basically living the movie Groundhog Day. I'm talking about an area of your life that you feel like you are not making any forward progress. You are just going around over and over again in this circle. You feel like you're doing really well and then you start to slip a little and then, man, it's really bad. But then you kind of get better and then it's back up to the top and you're back 10 out of 10. But then you just kind of keep going round and round this circle, cycling through over and over again, whether it's a job or a relationship, whether it's an addiction you're trying to break free of or maybe just a bad habit you're trying to get rid of. I think we have all been going through cycles at least one time in our lives. Now, as, as we look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about cycles, today I'm going to be in the book of Judges. And now the book of Judges, I think, shows us two things. It shows us how persistent Israel is in forgetting what God has done for them and how faithful God is to discipline and deliver his people. Now, the book of Judges is titled Judges, but we're not talking about robes and courtrooms. No, we're talking about regional, political, military leaders closer to a a tribe chiefdom and less of robes, gavels, and courtrooms. Now, during this time, Israel goes through a cycle, not once, not twice, But seven times they go through this same cycle. And it looks like this. Rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance, 
and peace. And so I've got these really cool motions that I want to share with you as we talk about these five things in their cycle. There's rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and peace. I would love for you to join in with me at home. Would you just do these after me? Rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and peace. One more time, just for fun. Rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and peace. Now, let's look at what this cycle looks like in the lives of the people of Israel. In Judges chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. This is the rebellion. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherah. The, angel of the, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plunder them. That's the oppression. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Whew, that was a lot of scripture, but it boils down to these five things. That Israel rebelled against God by worshiping other gods. Then God allows them to be conquered and oppressed by other nations. Eventually, the people repent and turn their hearts back to God. He sends a judge to deliver them, and there is peace in the land. But then the judge dies, and they rebel again and are oppressed. Then they repent, are delivered. There is peace. This happens seven times in the book of Judges. And you would think, surely they know not to rebel against God. They don't. Soon as the judge dies, rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace. 
Now, I want to talk to you about that first one, rebellion, for a second, because I think a lot of you guys just tuned out when I said that word. I think it carries some really bad connotations, some flashbacks to teenage years when people were just like, oh, you're so rebellious against your parents and all of this, sneaking out, going to parties. Or maybe you weren't rebellious and people just said you were because you got your ear pierced or you dyed your hair. But I want to give you a definition of rebellion to go off of. Rebellion is turning away from what we know or has been to- have been told is right. It is a redirection of our worship. Rebellion is turning away from what we know or have been told is right. It is a redirection of our worship. And that's what Israel was doing. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter that they were rebelling against God? Why does it matter that, oh, well, they just decided they didn't want to worship God anymore? It matters because Israel made a covenant with God. Way back, if we trace this all the way back, it started with a man named Abraham that God made a covenant with and said, I will be your God, you will be my people. When he brought the children out of, when they brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He renewed that promise with them, saying again, I will be your God, you will be my people. And what a covenant is, it's a two-way street. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to give you all of this. No, it's actually like a legal contract that is binding. And God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And with that, I will provide for you, I will protect you, I have promises and blessing that I want to pour out on you, and this is the way that you're going to live. And so he laid all of that out in Exodus 20, and he started with this. God spoke all these words. I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. No other gods, only me. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form of anything, whatever, whether of things that fly or walk or swim, Don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God, and I'm a most jealous God, punishing the children for any sins their parents pass on to them to the third and, yes, even to the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I'm unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Do you see that contingency there? Do you see that condition, that that he, God, is unswervingly loyal to those who love him and keep his commands. Now, the end game for these guidelines is not just God wanted to throw some rules and regulations at them just because he didn't want them to have fun or he didn't want them to do things because he wanted them to live a life that was just totally awful and you can't do all of these things. No, God was setting them apart from everyone else in the world. He chose this people and said, I will be your God. You will be my people. You are wholly set apart from all of the other nations, from everyone else on earth. Why? To show people who I am and what I am really like. And so with that, comes God's promises, his protection, his provision, his blessing until Israel broke that covenant. 
Because here's what I want you to know. God's love is not conditional, but his promises are. God's love is not conditional, but his promises are. And what does that, what does that mean? It means that God is going to love you no matter what. He's going to love you because that's who he is. God is love, and he loves you. Now, that's not to say that he endorses your actions, but that he loves you, not because of anything that you've ever done, but because of who he is. <laughs> but his promises are conditional on our response to his love for us. And so the Israelites' response to God's love for them was rebellion. And so God said, you broke our covenant. I can't protect you anymore. I can't give you these blessings. I can't provide for you because you've disregarded me. And it's basically like he took his hands off of Israel because they said, we don't want you. And so what happened? He allowed other nations to oppress them because they turned away from him. They were worshiping the gods of other nations. The first thing, the very first thing that God said not to do was what? Was to not bow down and worship other gods. What is the first thing that they did? They bowed and worshiped other gods. Like they can't even make it through commandment one. Like forget about killing people. You can't, you can't follow the first one. And so, and so with the first one, they, they go and they worship these gods of other nations. And when you look at the lives of the Israelites and you look at the lives of the other people living in those nations, the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Philistines, they looked the same. You couldn't tell the difference between who was an Israelite and a follower of God and who was what they refer to as a pagan who was worshiping multiple gods because that's what the Israelites were doing. And the point of driving all of them out of this promised land was to protect their morality because what these other nations were doing was not right. It was not good. It wasn't even ethical. Y'all, they were sacrificing their children in worship to these other gods. Like, none of that is right. And God knew, if you stay around these people too long, you will become just like them. But I want you to live differently. I want to set you apart. And that promise is still on us today. God wants us to live right. He wants us to be his example to the world. He doesn't want us to look like everybody else. No, he wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be different. And yeah, it's going to be hard because everybody else is not under the same expectations as we are. But these expectations, these rules, these guidelines, whatever you want to call them, are for our benefit. They are not for our harm. They are not because God is mean. No, they are here to help us and to protect us. And so as the Israelites are going through all of this, they rebel, they're oppressed, and then they realize, man, we messed up. And so they repented. And when they repented, man, God sent a judge to deliver them because repentance on our end is always followed up with deliverance on God's. Repentance on our end always followed up with deliverance on God's end. 
And can I tell you, it's not just deliverance that we get, but it's that peace that we get to live in. But God's peace, it doesn't mean that there's peace around you. It means there's peace within you. Everywhere else is still going to be crazy. When you make a change, when you make a shift in your life, things around you may not change. But there is a peace within you that surpasses everything. And you may be still living in the chaos, but you have peace inside of yourself. It means you don't have to hold on to anxiety anymore because God's peace lives inside of you. It means you don't have to hold on to depression anymore because God's peace lives inside of you. It means you don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month or next year because God's peace lives inside of you. It means you don't have to turn to food or alcohol or drugs or sex to bring you comfort because God's peace lives inside of you. You want to know why you don't have peace? Because you rejected God's love. Because you thought you could, you could do better. Because you put something else in his place. And instead of looking to him, you've looked to something else. But the good news is you don't have to stay like that. You can you can return to God or turn to him. As soon as you call out to him, he's right there. As soon as you turn around, he's waiting with open arms, ready for you to run back to him. He is a loving heavenly father. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to provide for you. If you would just turn away from what you're doing and turn back to him, he can deliver you. He can set you free so that you can live with his peace inside of you. So how does the book of Judges end? Not great, actually. Um, The last verse of the book says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Paul puts it like this in Romans, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Israel was waiting for a king to tell them what to do and to tell them how to live and to rule over them. God wanted to be that king, but Israel rejected him. He wanted them. He gave them a king. Eventually, it didn't go well but we don't have to wait on a king anymore because God sent his son Jesus to be the king of all kings to rule and reign not with a, with a fist of iron or anger or brute strength, no, but with love and mercy and justice and grace and truth. He wants to be king of your life, but it means you put him first. It means you set everything else to the side to be second, third, and so on. And you make him priority. You make him first. You don't don't worship other things. You don't don't go and turn to something else like like alcohol or drugs in your time of 
of need. No, you turn to prayer. You turn to the Bible. You turn to his word and scripture when you need that peace in your life because he is there for you. And in that verse in Romans, man, how often do we do that in our lives where we exchange the truth of God for a lie and and you may not think that you do that, but let me know if, if any of these phrases sound familiar to you. Well, if God really loved me, then he would give me what I asked for. If God were really good, then nothing bad would ever happen. Did God really say not to do that? And suddenly we're back in the garden in Genesis with a serpent and a piece of fruit. When we take and exchange what we know to be true about God, which is that God is love, so yes, he really does love you. When we exchange the lie that God is not good because bad things happen, no, God is good. He is a God of justice and mercy. And thank goodness that I have a God who gives me grace because I need it. I need the grace in my life. And did God really say not to do that? Yeah, he did. He did, and here's why. Because he loves you, and he wants to protect you, and he wants to provide for you. Not because he's mean, but because he loves you. And worshiping the creation rather than the creator, worshiping a a car. And no, we don't have these wooden idols in our houses at this in, in this country where, where we set up an altar and we bow down to it and we throw flowers and stuff at it every now and then. No, we don't have any of that, but we do have idols like cars, like houses, like money, like our significant others, or maybe someone we wish was our significant other, of celebrities, our children, our jobs, food, drugs, alcohol, all of these things that we put in place of God, those are the idols in our life. When we start worshiping what God created instead of God the creator, that's, that's where it gets not right. That's when we start to, to hit that rebellion of knowing that God is the creator and he deserves all of the praise and all of the glory and all of our worship and our adoration and our honor not what he made, but him and who he is and what he's done for you and I. Israel didn't figure it out. Even after the last judge died, and they, they had no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. But we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live in the, in the wandering we don't have to live in this cycle that starts off as a circle but turns into a downward spiral. We don't have to live like that. I think there are two different kinds of, of people watching today. And I think some of you started off and you loved God and you were all for him. But something happened along the way, whether it got too hard or you just decided it wasn't for you or you just didn't really understand or whatever the reason was, you turned away. You knew what was right. You knew the right thing to do and you've just kind of turned away. You're, you're not thriving right now. You're just kind of surviving. 
you're just kind of going from, from one day to the next and, and you've hit this endless cycle of, oh, things are great. Oh, they're not great. Oh, things are great. And we're going around and around and around again. And you turned to God at one point, but now you've turned away. And it's, it's time to turn back. It's time for you to be delivered from whatever that is. And it's time for you to live in peace. So if that's you today, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I have turned away from you. I have turned away from what I know is right. And today, I repent. I turn away from those things, and I turn back to you. I ask you to deliver me from what has oppressed me. I receive your forgiveness, and I take back the peace that I lost when I turned away. Thank you for saving me and for loving me. In Jesus' name. And then I think there are those of you who have never turned to God to start with. You've been living your life based on the world around you. You've been doing what was right in your own eyes, and it's not working. Today is the day that you can change that and turn to God and receive his peace too. So repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.